You're listening to Wastoids. Hey, this is Wastoids. I'm Jason Woodbury, and today I'm hanging out with Ruben Zarate of Dante Elefante. His new album is called Mid-Century Modern Romance. It's out now on Born Losers Records. Finds him sprinkling his classic West Coast pop songwriting with disco and R&B flavors. Ruben's also the host of the Dante Elefante podcast, which drops new episodes every Tuesday. Features talks with guests like Sad Girl, Ron Sexsmith, Chris Cohen, and many more. Ruben's a gifted conversationalist, as you're about to hear. I uh, talked with him about the new record and growing up with uh, uh, Oldies Radio in Southern California, and also a dream encounter with official Wastoids hero Harry Nelson. Dante Elefante is on the road, hitting up spots all around the West Coast, so don't miss them on tour. More from Dante and crew on Wastoids.com very soon. Don't let your eyes deceive someone I can't be. I'm home now, not for long. There ain't no shame in my wanting you. I'll make my way back somehow. Alright, well let's let's dive in. Uh to start off, I'm I'm curious. How often do people call you Dante when they speak with you? Oh, all the time, man. Even my own manager calls me Dante. And at this point, it's fine. I'm used to it. Yeah, I'm okay with it. When you launched the podcast and called it the the Dante Elefante podcast, was that sort of the moment where you were like, okay, I'm kissing it goodbye. Like people are going to call me Dante from here on out. <laughs> I, You know, I just thought like, I don't know. I, I I finally thought of a good name for the podcast um, recently, but I couldn't think of a good name at the time. So I just said, Dante Elefante, fine. Yeah, sure. Why not? It's all about the branding, baby. But I definitely thought like, I, I recently was like, you know what? I should have called it Less Talk, More Rock, which is just like, <laughs> which is just like ultimately what I've always said since like high school about bands who talk too much on stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever find yourself kind of falling into the hole of being on stage and and chatting way too much, doing too much on stage banter? <laughs> yeah, I think I I think I definitely was starting to enter that realm, and and then I started the podcast, and now I don't talk on stage. I I, I feel more confident when I talk on stage now because it's like I I know some people in the audience are listening to the podcast and they do have an idea of like my personality and who I am, but like uh, before like why is this guy talking so much but now i think people get it yeah you know yeah has the has the podcast helped you connect with with people i mean obviously it's like in a in a world in which in the world in which we live in i guess to quote paul mccartney uh in the ever changing world you know it's like a, a musician can't just simply say like yeah or or rather anybody can say i'm just in a band i just do this but it seems to me like a lot of folks yourself included are kind of casting the net a little bit wider and they're and they're trying to think of ways they can connect with an audience and something like a podcast or you know the YouTube version of the podcast do you find that that right. does give you you sort of an entry point for for new new fans yeah they're absolutely new 
they're just new communities to deal with, you know, like the YouTube community is just different than my Instagram community. My TikTok community is different than my, you know, Instagram community. I think for so long we were just focusing so much on Instagram and now to, to be able to branch out and be on YouTube and to have the, have the podcast find its own audience. Like that stuff is great. And like the fact that anyone comes to the shows, like people have been coming to the shows and tell me, Hey, I like the podcast. Like I came to, from the show because I heard the podcast because you know, Jerry paper was on or somebody else was on that, like, you know, got them into it. And, and, uh, that's cool. That's really cool. It's a great way to like, just talk to people again. Yeah. 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 Well, mid-century romance is so much fun. I love the soul and disco touches on this. I have to imagine these songs are sort of a blast to play live. Have the shows been pretty, pretty great. Yeah. The, the shows have been awesome. Like they've been really fun to play. Like uh, these songs, like we played them before the pandemic, but then like, and we had the record done before the pandemic. I think, I think we mixed and mastered it in the middle of the pandemic, but um, it was basically done. And uh, we had played it live a few times and and it was just like such a shame. We couldn't like, you know, keep the momentum going. Cause we had some good momentum, but I feel like it didn't matter. Cause as soon as things opened up, like, we played Lollapalooza and we played a few different, so it's like, okay, the momentum's back, but it's, it's awesome. It's really great. Cause you put a record out in the pandemic and you don't know how people are going to react to it. And then you just see numbers on a screen and, and it's, uh, it's nice to see if the numbers on the screen are real people and they are coming out to the shows and they've been really fun. Yeah. Yeah. That rules. That rules. I like that the the record has two nods to two southwestern cities. You you, you sing about Santa Barbara and you also sing about right. Las Vegas and I and I wonder oh, yeah. growing up growing up in Southern California. I mean, how how often what kind of memories do you have of Vegas? Do you have sort of like associations? Does it does it thinking about Vegas send your imagination places? Yeah, it definitely takes me back to being a kid, you know, driving driving to Vegas in the 90s. We would leave around five in the morning. I think we'd leave around four in the morning and then we'd get there by like, you know, what would that be like? Yeah, yeah. it takes like it takes like five hours, six, five or six hours from Santa Barbara. So we would go all the time. My grandmother was obsessed with Vegas. Um, I'm, I have a photo on my wall right now of her on a like on a you know slot machine and, and I'm like right next to her, which is like not which is against the rules you can't be underage and like <laughs> not close that. to a slot machine but like i'm right there next to her. me and my sister both are and so we love it man we used to stay at the gold strike um which is like in gene nevada it's not even vegas but like yeah we would just drive into vegas and you know they had cheap rooms at at, at uh the gold strike and yeah i don't know my grandmother felt the luck there she was very lucky and then also lost a lot of money and also gained a lot of money there <laughs> how about you do yeah. you do, do you have like stories of big score have you have you guys played vegas much i played uh the bunkhouse saloon in 2016 that was my last show in vegas did that go okay were was was the, were the vegans uh into it it was cool like um i think it was like a monday night or a tuesday night and uh it was pretty wild like we drove all day because we played from reno and then from reno to vegas is like driving from san francisco to la so it's like right kind of far right yeah yeah <laughs> so we spent the whole day driving showed up at the show and uh i think like a biker gang showed up and and that was kind of the end of the set they said <laughs> it was over so it was over yeah i mean biker gangs have a tendency to call the shots wherever they go i guess <laughs> I, I definitely i think definitely nevada they definitely do <laughs> um i read that that pre-pandemic you were you know, making some scratch as a wedding DJ. Uh, yeah. 
I've DJed a few weddings and it's a pretty tricky thing I I have found uh as a non-traditional wedding DJ but but I'm curious you know in your experience what makes a great wedding DJ what are the skills required to really nail that sort of thing You know yeah I, if if I you know I would probably get more gigs if I if I followed those skills myself but I think you definitely <laughs> need to learn how to read the room really play the hits and really really keep up to date with current songs. See, I don't do any of those things. <laughs> I uh, I only DJ vinyl and I fight with the family members almost at every wedding. I have a fight with a family member. And uh, yeah, that's why I don't get a lot of DJ gigs. Like, listen, they hired me for a reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah like yeah. they saw me at a bar. Like I don't actively search out weddings. Like they reach out to me when they see me DJing at a bar. Right. Like, hey, do you do weddings? I was like, yeah, if you... If you understand what I do, yeah. then I can do that. And like, you know, I can bring some kind of digital stuff, but like, I really don't have a lot of it and I'm not going to play new music. Like, yeah, I'm going to play old, old music. Yeah. And yeah, family members don't get that, but also they're not paying you. So do you, there you go. I mean, but do you have a copy of like the electric slide or whatever? Are you ready to drop <laughs> that one if you have? To? Yeah, I could do like the hustle and okay. I got like September by earth went fire i have a it's like i like those songs anyways get down on it i love those songs like so i i have no issue playing those but like anything past like 90 92 or something i can't do or 94 really yeah yeah you know it's funny i kind of hear the influence of that kind of stuff that earth wind and fire kind of stuff on the on the new record specifically it seems like right you're pulling a lot from r&b and soul and funk and not and not just sort of the 70s stuff there's like some 80s textures in terms of those real heavy, funky synth bass type yeah. things. Um, I really dig that. Is that is that the sort of stuff that you heard growing up? Like, were, were you hearing soul and R and B on the way to Vegas with the family? That sort of thing. Yeah, like growing up, that was like huge for us. Like, um, my parents grew up in the eighties, and and they listened to a lot of like freestyle. I guess you I, in, in Santa Barbara in the eight hundred five, we kind of just call it old school. But what it really is is like boogie, right? Freestyle music. Um, uh i that's literally all i listened to growing up like i didn't know who the beach boys were until i watched like rush hour whoa like, like american music american rock and roll kind of music like just wasn't played in my house very often so i it's kind of weird that like i started this band as like a rock band but in reality this is like what i listened to because i did gravitate towards rock as i got older and picked my own style but like um yeah yeah. yeah, what I grew up with was this music. It's just what I've always loved. And once I started DJing like heavy in Santa Barbara, that's like the stuff I wanted to DJ because that's the kind of stuff I liked. Yeah. Yeah. Was like, was Art LeBeau specifically somebody that you'd hear growing up? Uh, yeah, we'd listen to Art LeBeau. Like, um, I, I love the Art LeBeau show. I, I, uh, I would love to do a show like that. That'd be so sweet. Um, yeah, that's like the, the phone. I was able to get like, you know, I have a Google phone number that people can leave voicemails to. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty funny. Sometimes you just get trolls. So I don't know. People don't leave sincere messages yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for those. We've we've got a hotline for this this project too. one eight seven seven wasteoids. And we get we, we try to encourage people to call and leave very strange messages. And they oh, cool. They do oblige, but they're not always, uh, you know, sometimes they're they're there uh, we're, we're we're open to like nothing nothing <laughs> is too far out but we've got a few right right that end on like ominous notes where i'm like uh i don't know uh <laughs> like what are you saying <laughs> yeah are you confe- yeah, I definitely are you confessing to a crime 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely have had some weird ones like that. And I'm just like, oh, what do I do with that one? Okay. Well, I think it's so funny that you mentioned being introduced to sort of the Beach Boys via stuff like Rush Hour. But I, I was thinking, going back and listening to the record from 2015, An- Anglo-Saxon Summer. Uh, right. Which, by the way, that predates White Boy Summer, Chet Hanks's White Boy Summer <laughs> shit. By like, you called that like six years ago, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah, that was like 2015. Now, yeah. Holy crazy! Sh- holy shit! I thought that was so. F- that was so funny. It's such a funny album title, but also, I definitely hear that rock thing you're talking about. There's a big rock influence on that record. You hear the sort of garagey stuff. What were the the bands that kind of got you uh, put onto the guitar pop sort of idea? Yeah, I think if I can go back to that time, uh, a big band for us was like Orange Juice and Teenage Fan Club and like a lot of that C86, kind of the pastels. Oh, I love that Uh, stuff, yeah. Yeah, big, big uh, 1980s Scottish pop, Glasgow rock, right? And so that was the kind of stuff. And Big Star, Big Star was massive for us. And it was about jangly guitars, uh, some clean tones, and that's what we wanted to do, you know? and I think, I don't know, like I look back on that stuff, like we played a really long set, like in, in some random town the other day and had to pull out some old songs. And like, honestly, playing those songs feels like, like I'm covering a band. It doesn't even feel like the same band anymore. Yeah, I bet. It's really weird. It's super weird. You know, Alex Chilton's an interesting person to bring up because he's somebody who, if you chart the course of his musical output, you know, we first start hearing him in the box tops, which is right. not far from that sort of old school sound in certain ways. You know what I mean? Uh, right. Then he goes into the jangle stuff with Big Star. And then, of course, as time goes on, he sort of returns to R&B and standards and stuff like that. Do you kind of do you ride with some of that stuff too? some of his more late period stuff? Yeah, definitely. I think I love artists who have careers like that. Like Bobby Darren is a great one where he did like, you know, Splish Splash and then he did Beyond the Sea and then he ends his career with like If I Was a Carpenter. Right. Or or Tim Buckley like where he started off as like the pretty Bob Dylan and yeah. after that he did like avant-garde jazz and like was signed to like you know Frank Zappa's label and then he did like sex funk at the end like I always <laughs> I always loved those careers that had like moments and uh I guess yeah this is just like my soul disco moment I don't know what the next moment will be but I think you uh, already called it. I think you, you got to go sex funk next for sure <laughs> Something that I, totally. I, it's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned sort of like that California pop thing coming to you a little bit later. I, I feel like it's, it's part of the, the DNA. And, and I read that while you were recording with Jonathan Ratto of Foxygen, uh, yeah. Rado, um, a, a very important person to you both, Harry Nilsson came up right. and, uh, and there was some talk about going to visit his, his, uh, his resting place, his, his grave, but that didn't happen. Something even weirder happened. Uh, so he appeared to you in a dream, essentially. Yeah, he did. Um, Harry Nielsen, I was I was sleeping on Rado's couch, on his family's couch. And uh, I guess it's probably because we just talked about him so much on that weekend. And then he came to me in a dream. He was in my dad's living room, which is really weird. And I was like, Harry, what are you doing here? He's like, he didn't say anything. He just said, what song do you want to hear? You know, he was old. He was old overweight Harry like how he was when he passed yeah it wasn't yeah. like a young Harry Nielsen so I was like that's really weird because wouldn't you 
be the young Harry Nielsen. I don't know. <laughs> but then he played This Could Be the Night. Ooh. And I was like, wow. He's like, what? And I was like, oh, I, play, I said, play This Could Be the Night. That's my favorite one. And then he played it. He's like, that's it. And then I woke up. Whoa. So have you ever had a dream like that before? Have people appeared to you in dreams? Do you have far out dreams like that? Yeah, I've had family members come to me in dreams and and then I'm like back in the old, you know, the house I grew up in and that kind of stuff has happened um, a few times and I feel like I like experience deja vu quite often like I don't know. Yeah. That's- my dreams are very mundane. Like my dreams are very like, yeah, oh, yeah, that could happen. And then when it does happen, I'm like, oh, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're almost it almost sounds like you're talking about some sort of prophetic dream type stuff right there. Like where something totally it's never surreal. It's always just like, yeah, it's me at the store. OK, have have any other pop stars appeared to you in your dreams or is Harry alone <laughs> alone in that regard? Oh, I, I think Harry's the only one so far. Yeah. Well, that's because I wanted to. I think because I wanted to like connect to his spirit so badly that it happened. What What are some of your favorite? What are some of the qualities of of Harry Nelson's music that you that you really appreciate? You know, I um I got into Harry Nielsen uh, when I was in high school. I was like maybe 14 and I wasn't really allowed outside of my house. And um, I watched one of those time live songs of the 60s. And like um, everybody's talking was on it. And, you know, it only plays it for like 10 seconds. But I was sitting there. I was like, oh, my God, that song sounds so good. And then I went on LimeWire and just like downloaded it because that's what you did in 2004. You like, you know, you went on LimeWire and you download it. I know I'm not supposed to say that now, but it's the truth. <laughs> it's yeah, the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and um, I've bought that song many times now, <laughs> many times over. I've bought like a seven inch or like the actual four record. So I think I've paid my price. No, but uh, no judgment here. No judgment here <laughs> on, on, on your, your nefarious LimeWire uh, activities <laughs> as, as a young man. Right, right. And uh, so I just like always loved his melodies. I loved his voice. I even loved when, you know, he went he got into that screaming match with John Lennon and ruined his voice. Like, yeah, I I, I love all of it. Yeah, I love the songwriting and I always love the production. And I love that he didn't tour. And like there was a moment in my life where I was like, I don't want to tour anymore. (laughs) Like, I don't like touring. But then I just found I just realized, like, it's not that I don't like touring. It's just that I've had like bad tours so you need a good tour to like see what's actually like and how organized when it's nice and organized like it's really fun but when you're younger and you're just touring for the very first times it kind of like ruins it for you so there was a time where i really connected with the fact that he never toured what what were some of the sort of if you don't mind me asking what sort of mishaps might have occurred on the road to make you sour on the concept of touring for a while well, like, you know, the first time I ever slept in my own car, that was like really a, not fun. It's a rough one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 90 degrees in Portland and you're just like, oh, this sucks. Let's go sleep in this parking lot. Or And then it's like, it's super, super sketchy. Not like I haven't done that since. Like we did that in Florida in 2019, which was awful too, because it was really hot. But like, you know, whatever. I know that was still a fun tour and it's just easier it just gets easier each one to kind of plan for the future and get an Airbnb or just get a cheap hotel and just say, you know, screw it. Like, but uh, when you're 20, 21, 22, when I first went on my first couple of tours, it was really hard and we didn't know what we were doing. And um, we learned the hard way in many ways. So yeah, I think just sleeping in the car, not showering every day, not eating correctly. Um, these are all things you kind of learn by each tour. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. It's funny that, 
we talk so often about stuff like self-care, you know, and things like that. Right. That that side of things can get really, really hard when you're on the road. But I'm sure you've discovered the more time you've put into it that it's just like crucial. It's crucial to sort of take care of yourself in a way to allow yeah. yourself to keep to keep doing it. What are some of the what are some of the things that you do to sort of keep your head on straight when you're on the road these days? Yeah, there's like I've seen like, you know, a few of the band members like my my buddy Jacob Cole, he'll wake up early and just like go for a jog. I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, how do you do that? But like, you know, when we stay at hotels with gyms, I'll absolutely hit the gym. Uh, I'll lift and I'll run. It's just finding that little bit of normalcy, like whatever you do in your your day to day time, uh, like whatever I would do in Santa Barbara, um, just trying to find that. Uh, even if it's just like watching TikToks before you go to sleep, like that's like some normalcy right there. Yeah. Or watching a YouTube video, like that's the kind of stuff that makes you feel like you're at home, even though you're not, even though you're in the middle of nowhere. And uh, just trying not to drink as much, drinking a lot of water, trying to eat as as much uh, as you can because, and you have to say as much as you can because you don't eat all the time, right? If ever, right? So, right. Eat as much as you can, yeah. I get the sense, man, that I could just talk with you uh, about a million other things. I, I really enjoy listening to the podcast, and you featured some of my favorite artists, people I've also... Oh, cool. People like Chris Cohen, you know, who's... who's Oh, I love Chris whose Cohen. Whose tunes are just, like, so, so good. Um, something that, that I thought about him, you know, you, you do... Um, you have a band, you know, and you work with other musicians and stuff, but right. I think about how he does almost everything on his own and, uh, yep. and it's, it just, but it still sounds so full of, of life. I wonder if over the, the year over 2020 and then, you know, parts of 2021 before you were able to get on the road, did you find yourself working on music in a more solitary fashion for a lot of the, the, the recent stretch of time? Yeah, I, uh, you know, prior to the pandemic, I guess I've always written by myself. Um, and then, you know, you bring it to the band and then we, we everyone writes their own part. And then, uh, you know, but ultimately I have like the final say on like riffs and stuff like that. Um, for like mid-century modern romance, I had like a pretty good idea of what I wanted, but like I also didn't care. Like, you know, I, I had this like Steely Dan approach where it's just like whoever can play the part plays the part. Like there's no ego. Like I literally dropped my whole ego because on the record before I felt like I was all ego and it was all like, it has to be this way or else. And like, I, I love that record, but like, I don't know. It just wasn't, I can't put my heart and soul into a project like that. And for it to like get dissed by labels or not get picked up or like whatever the case may be like, uh, so this next time around, I wanted to drop the ego and just write and just record and, um, just really, just sing. I honestly just, I mainly just sang. I played keys on a few of the songs, but like I didn't really play guitar on this record, which is really crazy. Um, I didn't play drums. I didn't play bass. I played some keys and then yeah, pretty, it's pretty wild. Did, did um, you find that just, just focusing on singing freed you up in a way to think about, you know, the, the act of fronting a band or fronting a song, you know? Yeah. I think, uh, just singing made me focus more on just like the singing, which is really great. Um, uh, and I think uh, having someone like Paul Cherry there to produce a record, he's such a perfectionist that it like pushed me to like become that perfectionist because I ne I was never that perfectionist. I always thought, you know, there's a vibe here. And that's all I was ever reaching for was the vibe right. and that it felt good. 
Um, but Paul like hit hit us with this level of like, no, everything needs to be on, like on time. If this is disco, it needs to be on time. So it's it's crazy. Yes. Yeah, it was definitely it was a brand new experience. Yeah. yeah, sloppy disco is tough to pull off. You gotta be tight. <laughs> Super tight, like un like unhumanly tight. <laughs> and that's what that record is. Yeah, unhuman. Well, Ruben, one one last question before I let you go and get back to your back to your day. Uh, you put up a cover of Game of Love on uh on Bandcamp. Um Oh yeah. Would you say that that song is is better than smooth, the more well known Santana collaboration? Uh, yeah, I think um, lyrically, melodically, it's a way better song than smooth. But smooth is so funny, you can like not enjoy it. Like, <laughs> right, right. It's so it's such a funny song, but I think Game of Love is a better song. You know, because that song was written by Greg Alexander, and I'm a huge uh, New Radicals fan. I- so to yeah, I, I think between that song and and the huge you know new radical song get what you give. I mean, those yeah. are two of the top songs of that of that era. And I don't oh totally. And I don't think that they're given enough credit in terms of just their pure you know pop brilliance. I guess they have they it, both of those songs were huge ass hits. So I guess they got a lot of credit. But you know what I mean. Totally. No, they're great pop songs and they're super uplifting and they're and the lyrics are kind of snarky, like they're kind of cynical. And yeah, um, maybe not Game of Love, but the other one is oh, like yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you get what you give is it has everything. It's kind of like, you know, it's super happy, but also kind of mad. It's it's a great mix. Yeah, I love that. And I loved your version of it. You really you really sound great on that one. So Oh yeah, that was that's me bored in the pandemic, man. <laughs> like that was like week one of the pandemic. I recorded that because like, I need something to do. Well, you nailed it. You nailed it. Ah, thanks, man. Well, thanks for hanging out with us here on Wasteoids, Ruben. Ah, thanks so much for having me, Jason. Thanks for listening. Wasteoids is produced at 850 West Lincoln, home of Hello Merch. Want to get in touch with us? We'd love it if you called in with your own weird dream visit from Harry Nilsson or any other pop star for that matter. Call 1-877-927-864-37. That 7 is optional, but we have to insist that you press it when you dial. It's the only way you can be sure your call will be received in the proper spirit. All right, before we head out, here's a call that recently came in. Hey, it's Brian. I was attacked by birds that tried to eat my donut. We've got lots more over for you at Wastoids.com, so head over and check it out. Back soon with much more weirdness. Thanks for hanging out on Wastoids. Just takes a little bit of-